calling all aspiring podcasters. This is your sign to start your own podcast because we have just the right tool for you. Before we started podcasting, we really thought that everything would be such a hassle, especially the editing. But we found the best and most convenient all-around podcast tool out there, Podmachine. Podmachine will take care of all your podcasting needs. From audio production, designs, and marketing growth, all you have to do is sit back, relax, and keep creating great content that sounds professional. It's time for you to start sounding like a pro with Podmachine today. Sign up and get a free episode trial. And once you're convinced of how good it can be and how it helped us, you can start for as low as only $49.99 for four episodes in a month. But wait, there's more. If you use our code PHMURDER, all caps, no spaces, you get one free episode credit upon subscribing. Just head on to podmachine.com and let them do the dirty work so you can do the fun stuff and sound like a pro. Podcast Network Asia. This episode may include topics, references, or discussions around sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking, physical violence, or subject matters that may be disturbing to some of our listeners. We do acknowledge that this content may be difficult. We also encourage you to care for your safety and well-being. Shocking, sad, revealing, and deeply researched, PH Murder Stories podcast covers the true account of infamous killings and true crime stories from the Philippines. There's no such thing as questions, just hidden answers. Stay tuned as we revisit the inconceivable crimes that exist. Some listeners may find the following content of PH Murder Stories highly disturbing due to its graphic nature. PH Murder Stories does not condone nor promote violence of all sorts. Viewer discretion is advised. Mas mas matindi raw to eh kaysa dun sa Lucy Lalalu story. Mas gory. Hindi ka pa ni paniwala yung kaniyang sinasabing pangapangyayari and therefore hindi ka agad nagkameron ng Directive ang aming happy no na magkamero ng sworn statement taking or mag-conduct na kagad ng, uh, ng uh, investigation. Uh, instead, ang ginawa nung happy ko noon, si Atty. Sakaging, inorderan ako na puntahan mo nga yung lugar na sinasabi nito at tingnan mo kung anong katotohanan. Okay naman, masayahin siya eh. Palabiro, matahimik lang siya, nag-aral, dire-diretso naman, hindi naman bulak-bulero. Siguro nagigilty siya dahil may asawa siya, eh, di ba? Uh, ano, gusto na niyang putulin yung pakikipagmabutihan niya dun sa boss niya. Director, bakit ito naging isang celebrated case? Kukumpara natin sa celebrated case also ni Lucila Lalu, yung kay Lucila Lalu, hiniwahiwa lang. Ito hindi. Bukod sa pinaghiwahiwa, inilabas pa yung mga laman loob. Inalis pa yung ari.
Chop Chop Lady cases in the Philippines have been among the most infamous incidents that caused public outrage in almost every decade. Since the first ever Chop Chop Lady case happened to Lucila Lalu in the 1960s, which was never solved. Before Lucila Lalu, Chop Chop cases had been unheard of. The gruesome sight of chopped up body parts found in different areas of the metro was so sinister it caused widespread fear. Soon, newspaper headlines talked about the so-called Chop Chop Lady, a case so unnerving yet also caused great confusion as to who could have done something like that and why they did it. Lucila was the first to fall victim to this kind of gruesome killing. However, she would not be the last. In the early 1990s, another Chop Chop Lady case would shock the entire nation after the mutilated body of Elsa Castillo was found in Barangay Polong, Santa Rosa, Laguna. On the morning of September 27, 1993, a crucial witness came forward to the authorities and reported that he helped his employer dispose of the body of Elsa Castillo. She was chopped into pieces and placed into four garbage bags. The police were accompanied by the witness to two separate locations. First, they retrieved Elsa's body in Laguna. There, they found a crowd of people gathered around the mutilated parts of the body along the road. Tricycle drivers had already discovered the victim's body before the witness. Second, they went to the province of Bataan, where the witness also told the investigators that his employer threw Elsa's belongings at the side of the road. Furthermore, the witness also said that the suspect has a beach house in the town of Bagak. Before we proceed to the facts of the case, let us go through Elsa Castillo's life and the events leading to her gruesome slaying. Elsa Santos Castillo, or Elsie, as others preferred to call her, was married to Fred Castillo. According to the victim's cousin, Mercedes de los Angeles, Elsa was the youngest of three sisters from her family. She was described as a happy and responsible person that her parents admired. Elsa was also studious and did not encounter any academic problems. Furthermore, Mercedes said that Elsa had only one goal in her life, which was to have a complete family. Unfortunately, Elsa was unhappy after marrying Fred because both ended up with different priorities. Elsa did not accept Fred's routine, where he often went out with friends. She felt like her husband was losing time for her, which led her to look for other ways to spend time on. Elsa went to work for Apex Motor Corporation as an assistant personnel manager. She met Stephen Mark Weisenhunt, her boss and the company's owner was also married to another woman. Both Elsa and Stephen became close as they were both suspected of having an affair, which eventually became true. According to Mercedes, 
Elsa's boss doubled her salary, which felt wrong to her and might have also turned many heads in the workplace. Elsa was well taken care of by Stephen. She would be spoiled with precious gifts and was driven around wherever she wanted to go by his driver, Demetrio Rovello, who would later become the crucial witness to help the authorities solve her gruesome murder. Demetrio Ravello told authorities that he last saw Elsa alive on September 23, 1993, after picking her up at her mother's home in Blumentritt, Manila. He drove her to the Platinum Condominium in Greenhills, where his employer, Stephen Weisenhunt, was staying. In the condominium lobby, Elsa met Ravello and requested him to go to Apex Motors Corporation to give a paper bag to Amy Serrano, one of the managers. After dropping off the paper bag, Ravello went back to the condominium, where he received another request from his employer. Weisenhunt asked Ravello not to go home just yet, as he would bring Elsa back to her home at 10 in the evening. However, after waiting until past 10, Ravello had not heard from Weisenhunt on whether or not he still needed to take Elsa back to her home. After waiting for a few more hours, Ravello informed Lucy, Weisenhunt's housemaid, that he was going home. The following day, on September 24, Ravello went back to the condominium to pick up his boss. Lucy asked Ravello if he had seen a kitchen knife that was missing. Weisenhunt overheard his mate and told her that the knife was in his bedroom. He went inside to get it, then gave the knife back to Lucy. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Lucy told Ravello that Weisenhunt requested him to buy cigarettes. Ravello was waiting for more orders. But by 5 o'clock, Weisenhunt sent him home as he didn't leave his residence. On the next day, September 25, Ravello went back to the condominium to ask Weisenhunt if he could go to Apex Motors Corporation. He wanted to follow up on his salary, which Weisenhunt agreed to. As soon as Ravello arrived at the Apex Motors Corporation and settled his salary, Amy Serrano, one of the managers that Elsa told him to give a paper bag to two days ago, asked him to give black plastic garbage bags to Weisenhunt as per his request. Amy then asked Ravello about Elsa's whereabouts, to which Ravello said that Elsa was at Weisenhunt's condominium, despite not seeing her ever since he dropped her off. Ravello went back to the condominium and gave Weisenhunt the garbage bags that he requested for. Later on, Weisenhunt ordered Ravello to drop off Lucy at Cobau and for him to get some clothes and other belongings as they will be heading to Weisenhunt's rest house in Bagak, Bataan. After doing Weisenhunt's request, Ravello went back to the condominium where he would find out the shocking details that happened to Elsa Castillo. 
A serial killer in North China. An American trapped in North Korea. And a Mongolian spy in Malaysia. These are just a few of the stories that I will be featuring in the second season of my podcast. Hi, my name is Christine Abregana, and I am the host of Asia and the Shadows, a weekly true crime podcast. Episode one will be published on the 2nd of February, 2022. So shadow friends, make sure you are ready. Listen to Asia and the Shadows on any of your preferred podcasting platforms. See you soon. As soon as Ravello went back to his employer's condominium, Weisenhunt asked Ravello if the car still had enough fuel, then ordered him to get the gas slip at Apex for the car. It was already around noon when Ravello got the gas slip from Apex. He had lunch at an establishment near the condominium before he headed back to Weisenhunt. He stayed at the servants' quarters to rest before their trip to Bataan. Weisenhunt suddenly went to Ravello's room and asked him how long he wanted to work for him. Ravello said that he wanted to work for him forever and expressed his trust in him. Weisenhunt then told Ravello, My problema ako, Rio. He told Ravello about Castillo's death, to which Ravello replied, Bakit mo siya pinatay? Weisenhunt claimed that he did not kill Castillo, rather, she died of bangungot, the Tagalog word for nightmare, but could also mean sudden death while sleeping. Ravello suggested to Weisenhunt that they needed the help of the authorities, but the latter said that he had already beheaded Castillo. You wanna see? Weisenhunt asked Ravello, to which the latter refused. After knowing what happened to Castillo, Ravello went through a series of emotions, sadness, grief, and fear as he tried to grasp the situation that he was in. Afterward, both of them went to Shopsville at the Green Hills Shopping Center to buy a suitcase. According to Ravelo, Weisenhunt was very nervous and his eyes were teary and bloodshot. Upon returning to the condominium, Weisenhunt asked for Ravelo's help to put Castillo's body parts in garbage bags. Ravelo also found the dismembered hands, feet, and head of Castillo in the bathroom. He lifted Castillo's head by the hair, then placed it in the garbage bag. He helped Weisenhunt put the rest of the body parts in three separate bags. He did not contest anything as he was afraid that Weisenhunt might end up killing him as well. The garbage bags were then placed in a suitcase that they had just bought at Shopsville. They brought it down to the parking area to load it in the trunk of Weisenhunt's Mitsubishi Galant with a plate number PPN700. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon, with Ravello steering the wheel, they went around Batangas and Tagaytay City to look for a place to dispose of Castillo's body. It was already past 6 in the evening 
when it was decided to dump the garbage bags containing Castillo's body parts along the road of Barangay Polong, Santa Rosa, Laguna. After emptying the suitcase, Ravello got back inside the car. Wisenhunt told him, Tayo na Rio. Tuloy na tayo sa bataan. At 6.30 in the evening, they were going to the rest house in Bagap, Bataan. While on the way to Bataan, Wisenhunt ordered Ravello to stop at two different locations to dispose of Castillo's belongings. On top of one bridge, Wisenhunt threw a bag into the river, while on another bridge, he lit Castillo's clothes on fire and threw them into the river as well. Inside the car, Wisenhunt took papers out of a bag, tore them to pieces, and threw them out the window. While on the road, Wisenhunt also threw Castillo's bag and dress. It was around midnight when they arrived at the rest house. Throughout the night, Ravello was afraid that he might be the next victim. At 11 o'clock in the morning of September 26, 1993, Wisenhunt ordered Ravello to clean the car's trunk so that it wouldn't emit any foul-smelling odor. In the afternoon, they set off to go back to Manila. On the way, Wisenhunt was seen burning an ATM card, twisting it, then threw it out of the window. A few moments later, Ravello asked Wisenhunt if he could go to his home in Fairview. Wisenhunt told him, Rio, you and your family can go on a vacation. I will give you money. He then gave Ravello 50 pesos for transportation. When Ravello arrived at his home, he immediately told his family about what he went through with his boss. The following day, Ravello decided to come clean and seek justice for Elsa Castillo through fiscal Joey Diaz at the Department of Justice. Ravello was then accompanied to the National Bureau of Investigation, where he gave his statement to Attorney Artemio Sakaking. Attorney Sakaking could not believe what he just heard. He sent a team of NBI agents to the places where the body parts were dumped at Barangay Polong, Santa Cruz, Santa Rosa, Laguna. A herd of people were gathered around the mutilated body parts discovered by tricycle drivers by the road. It was confirmed that Ravello's statements were true. Together with NBI agents, Ravello went to the family of Elsa to tell them the tragic news of her death. Elsa's sisters, Amelia Villadiego and Elida Santos, went to the funeral parlor where her body was brought. They identified the body parts as belonging to Elsa. Among her body parts, Elsa's genitalia was never recovered. Ravello then revealed to the authorities that his boss, Stephen Weisenhunt, was behind the gruesome killing of Elsa Castillo. On September 28, 1993, as Weisenhunt was driving up to the parking area of Apex Motors Corporation, he was arrested by the NBI. According to Attorney Sakaking, Weisenhunt's car had to be impounded 
since it was used to commit the crime. Weisenhunt asked to get his belongings in the car to put them in the trunk. After opening the trunk, a foul stench caused the people around to move away from the car. Upon inspecting the trunk, bloodstains were found, which were then examined by the NBI Chemistry Division. According to Attorney Sakaking, the Bureau also ordered to have Weisenhunt's wounds examined as well. The medical legal officer found contusions on his elbow, forearms, leg, and abdomen, which indicated that Elsa tried to fight back. On September 29, 1993, now with a search warrant, the NBI searched the condominium of Weisenhunt. They were able to recover hair strands from his bedroom. Other evidence found were bloodstains on the bedsheets and shoes, cough syrup, and more hair strands. Weisenhunt claimed that he was not feeling well on September 23, 1993, and he denied Ravello's statement that he asked him to fetch Elsa. He also denied Ravello's other claims regarding the cigarettes or telling him to go home. He also maintained that he did not see Ravello the following day. Weisenhunt then said that he was feeling much better on September 25, 1993. That's why he told Ravello that they were leaving for Bagak Bataan in the afternoon. They went straight to the rest house where Weisenhunt met his mother, father, aunt, and grandmother. According to his mother, Nieves Weisenhunt, her son did arrive at the rest house that afternoon. The following morning, she and her husband went to the clubhouse to have lunch. But Weisenhunt and Ravello had already left when they arrived back home. Weisenhunt claimed that he found out about Elsa's death when he was arrested by the NBI on September 28, 1993. Having been in love with her, Weisenhunt denied any involvement with her death, as he had no reason to kill her. Weisenhunt said that throughout his relationship with Elsa, he received two anonymous letters expressing anger towards him. When he told Elsa about them, it was revealed that they were from Fred, her estranged husband. Frances Eason, Weisenhunt's aunt, claimed that she never saw anyone in his bathroom when she visited him from September 23 until September 25. On the other hand, Teresa Weisenhunt, Stephen's sister-in-law, testified that her blood was found in the condominium as she had her period every time she stayed there. Her blood type was B, which was also the same blood type determined by the NBI. Meanwhile, Demetrio Ravello, accompanied by the NBI, went back to Bataan to recover Castillo's belongings that Weisenhunt had thrown out. Her bag, shoe, and shirt were recovered which were sent to the NBI for further identification. According to Dr. Ronaldo B. Mendez, 
the medical legal officer who conducted Castillo's autopsy. Her cause of death was multiple stab wounds to her chest. The physical evidence, such as hair samples and bloodstains, confirmed that Castillo's death occurred in Weisenhunt's bedroom. The autopsy report revealed that Castillo was stabbed at least three times in the chest. That plus Ravello's statement about how Weisenhunt had kept a knife in his bedroom further confirmed Weisenhunt's involvement in the killing. The evidence against Weisenhunt was largely due to the statements of Ravello, or the so-called prosecution star witness. Weisenhunt's statements regarding his version of the events were scrutinized, and it was found that Ravello's versions were more consistent and credible. He refuted Ravello's statements by saying that he had reprimanded him for reckless driving and asked him to tender his resignation which led Ravello to get back at him by pinning Elsa's death on him. The court rejected Weisenhunt's claim as they viewed Ravello's act of informing Elsa Castillo's family about her death as a genuine course of action to bring justice to her senseless slaying. Weisenhunt then pinned the blame on Fred, Castillo's estranged husband, as he had sent threatening letters to him regarding his relationship with Elsa. However, Castillo was last seen alive and eventually killed in his condominium, which disproves Weisenhunt's claims that Fred was responsible for her death. Despite having no eyewitnesses to Castillo's death, the physical evidence and testimonies against Weisenhunt led to his eventual conviction. The bloodstains found in his bedroom and car matched Elsa's blood type, and the mutilated body parts found through Ravello were identified to also be the victims. According to Judge Ricardo Molina, Weisenhunt killed Elsa Castillo because she decided to reconcile with her estranged husband, Fred. On January 31, 1996, Weisenhunt was convicted of murder and sentenced to reclusión perpetua, or 40 years imprisonment. He tried to appeal his case, but his claims would be debunked in 2001. Meanwhile, Fred Castillo Elsa's estranged husband could not contain his emotions when the verdict on Weisenhunt was finalized. He said, quote, Elsa is probably happy now because it's her birthday today and the decision was favorable. She would have turned 36, unquote. After more than a decade in the National Belibid Prison, Weisenhunt was deported in February 2013, two months following his release in December 2012. According to Immigration Commissioner Ricardo David Jr., we have placed him on our blacklist so he could no longer return to the Philippines. His involvement in a gruesome crime makes him a very undesirable alien who should not be allowed to re-enter our country. Weisenhunt was originally sentenced to reclusión perpetua, or 40 years in prison. But his jail term was commuted, reducing his sentence by six years. In the Philippines, prisoners sentenced to life imprisonment are eligible for commutation of sentence. Their release from detention is calculated using a formula called Good Conduct Time Allowance. Under Philippine law, 
foreigners who have been convicted of crimes shall be deported to their country of origin and banned from re-entering the Philippines after service of sentence. Elsa Castillo was killed and mutilated at the Platinum Condominium located in Annapolis Street, Greenhills, San Juan. The popularity of the victim's life story and how she was gruesomely killed had been turned into two movies. One was The Elsa Castillo Story, Ang Katotohanan, starring Chris Aquino, and the other was Chop Chop Lady, The Elsa Castillo Story, starring Lorna Tolentino. Movie critics suggest that Chris Aquino's version was able to showcase what was considered then as the most well-known crime of passion. Directed by Loris Gillian, the actual crime was respectfully depicted and the film's narrative focused more on the actual story. In one of our previous cases, the tragic death of Maria Teresa Carlson in 2001, the victim reportedly committed suicide by jumping off the 23rd floor of the Platinum 2000 apartment building, also in the same vicinity as Elsa Castillo was killed. Indeed, violence against women in the 90s was brutal, and most people remember the gruesome nature of what the victims had gone through. We could only hope that seeking justice is as loud as talking about the grisly details behind every chop-chop lady case. Elsa Castillo's case might have been solved, but there are other similar cases out there that remain to be unclosed. further updates, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at PH Murder Stories. And subscribe to our YouTube channel, PH Murder Stories. If you have case suggestions, please go to our website at phmurderstories.com and fill out the request form at File Your Blotter. Did you like this episode? Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, or if you're listening on other platforms, kindly send us a review on our Facebook page or send us a tweet. You can also share our podcast to your Instagram and Facebook stories through Spotify. We're also inviting you to join our Facebook group, PH Murder Stories The Verdict, and participate in our discourse about true crime, both local and international. This group is a safe space for true crime and mystery fans like us who want to engage in thorough discussions about the subject. To all our listeners, we hope you could support us on Patreon. If you're fond of online shopping, you can also help our team earn a small commission by clicking our Lazada and Shopee affiliate links found in the description. Any amount you contribute will enormously help support our team to produce more quality content. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. 
Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.